for the last several weeks, uh, we have had, uh, we've been talking about uh, things that we believe. I believe. And some of the things that we have looked at are things like, uh, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, I believe the Bible is the Word of God. We talked about how that we need to believe in the holiness of the church. In order for Jesus to make an impact in the world, he, he needs a holy point of contact with people, and that's us, the church. Last week we talked about, uh, I believe in discipline. If the church is to be that point of contact with the world, we need to be holy people. And if we're not holy, God has given instruction concerning discipline uh, to ensure the purity and the holiness of his people. Well, today I want us to look at another thing that is essential to the growth and development of the church, and that is the worship of God's people. I believe in worship. I don't know that there's anything as fundamental, or not many things, as fundamental to the Christian walk as is worship. This is something that if we don't get right, or if we abuse, or if we allow it to lose its uh, central meaning, I don't know how we can be a success otherwise. This, this is too central, too core of an issue, uh, our relationship with God, uh, to get wrong and to, to allow it to lose its, its spiritual meaning and still thrive as Christians and as a church. I think that um, probably, well, I'm pretty sure that we all got up this morning, we put on our Sunday go-to-meeting clothes, and, and we, we came here because we want to worship God. But I'm also just as convinced that it's very easily, could very easily be the case that those of us who got up and went to the trouble of getting the kids dressed and all the things that we do in getting here on a Sunday morning when we could be laying in bed... But we come to worship. I'm also aware of the fact that many of us leave having failed to accomplish what we set out to do. You see, worship takes place here. But I may be just simply in the presence of worshipers. And I may not myself be a participant in it. I mean, I have a distinct memory, and I probably shouldn't share this about myself, but it was many years ago. But I was about 12 years old. And we were worshiping and we stood to sing a song. And I thought it would really be funny to put a tack on the seat in front of me of the guy that stood up. I've never seen a man sit down and stand up so quickly. <laughs> um, it shocked him, hurt him. And uh, I, I got thought that was the funniest thing in the world. I wasn't worshiping. I was in the presence of worshipers, but I wasn't worshiping. And you may not be putting tacks on the seat in front of you, but you might be so enamored with that cute little baby. Oh, that baby's so cute. I can't help watch that thing. And, and uh, so you, you, you spend your time, oh, look at that, look at that. And, and that distracts you the whole time. Or you may be, well, well, that girl's pretty. She sat right down beside me too. I wonder, do I smell nice? Um, am I sitting too close? Am I singing too loud? And, and I get to thinking about all those things about that girl that's sitting next to me or that guy that's sitting next to me. And, and there are a thousand things. What I set that roast on, did I have that on 350 or you know, whatever numbers you have? I don't know. But um, 
all those things. Ball game after church. Wonder who's going to win that. When's that preacher going to get done? Uh, all those thoughts can distract us from truly worshiping God. And so I want us to keep in mind that um, we need to learn how to do this. It's not something that we just inherently do and we do it well. It's a discipline. It's something that is learned. But I'm telling you, it is crucial. It is crux to my relationship to God. I can't faithfully serve a God that I do not love and that I haven't grown to adore. I can't be faithful uh, in my relationship to a person if I don't love them and if I don't adore them. And so that's, that's the connection to our, uh, the worship and, and our daily practical living. So here, I, what I want to do this morning is talk about a few challenges to worship. And uh, then the lesson will be yours. First challenge that I want to address is this challenge of authority. Many people believe that whatever I offer to God, he's bound to accept. I mean, as long as I feel good about it and I'm really offering it out of a sincere motive and stuff, God is going to accept it. He's, he's good with it. Not so. Um, if that were the case, then there would never be a time when worship would be wrong. If God is bound to, or duty bound to accept whatever I throw his way, and he's good with it as long as I feel good about it and I have a sincere heart, if that's the case, then when would I ever, how would I ever do it wrong? Worship would be unregulated. And that's what, that's exactly what some guys are appealing for today. They're saying that worship has no regulation. It's just an expression of your heart. You, you express yourself however you wish and, and it's pleasing to God. But if that's the case, then tell me, why does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 15, verses 8 through 9, that there is such a thing as vain worship? Why would he say that? Vain means empty. We can worship God and it means nothing to God. Why, if that's the case, if worship is unregulated, would Paul in Athens in Acts chapter 17 and verse 23 say, let me tell you about this God that you ignorantly worship. Why would there be an ignorant worship if there are no rules, no regulations? Why would there be, well, what Paul calls in the King James, will worship in Colossians chapter 3? Uh, well, what do I want to do? How do I want to praise him? Uh, according to my will, we're going, to, we're, we're going to do this or that today. Those things couldn't exist if there wasn't some kind of regulation. The regulation is this, folks. Listen, Colossians 3 and verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, that covers what I say, what I teach, what I practice. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of, by the authority of the Lord. That, that's what we're supposed to do. Everything that we do, everything that we say, everything that we teach needs to be done by his authority. Does Jesus give me permission? That, that's what we need to be. We, we took the Lord's Supper just a little bit ago. Does Jesus give us permission to do that? Can I do that in his name? We've sung songs of praise already this morning. Does Jesus give me permission to do that? We, we've prayed. Does Jesus give me permission? We're studying the Word of God right now. Does He give us permission? Everything that we do, we have to have His permission. And what is without His permission is out of bounds. 
we need to leave alone. There's a challenge, a definite challenge in worship today among our own brethren with regard to the issue of authority. I heard a preacher a few years ago who's been preaching probably 40 years, and he said that God has no rules, no regulations for worship. So uh, another preacher asked him, so would you have any problem if we brought a sheep in, a lamb, and we slate, you know, put it to death here on Sunday morning? Would that be okay? Offer it as a sacrifice? He, in order to be consistent, said, I would have no problem with it, but the sheep might. I just can't imagine a person taking that kind of a position. I hope our children know better than that. Jesus Christ is our sacrifice, and we have no authority to offer something in his stead today. There is the challenge of authority to make sure that what we do, we have authority for. There's also a challenge of selfishness. Um, There are more people, and more worship has to do with uh, self-gratification. I think the attitudes that some people possess, it's more about self-gratification than it is praising God and being pleasing to God. Worshipers may be more concerned about what they can get out of it than what they can uh, give. Have you ever heard anybody go home and say, well, I didn't get anything out of that? That Bible class teacher or that preacher, I didn't get anything out of it. I understand that there are, we, there's a certain amount of feeling, emotion, closeness to God that we want out of our worship experiences. But listen, that is not an end. That's a byproduct. The end of worship is to bring glory and praise to God. That's the aim, that's the end, that's the goal, the desire. And when we do that, one of the byproducts is I'm uplifted, I'm inspired, I'm encouraged by other people. But that feeling, that encouragement, what we get, that's, that's a byproduct. That's not the purpose of worship. I'm afraid that some people are very selfish when it comes to worship. I want it to be this way because I like it this way. I want to have this because I like it. And very little thought is given to what God likes. Um, Psalm 29 and verse 2 speaks of the beauty of holiness. Well, in fact, turn your Bible back there in Psalm 29 and verse 2. Give unto the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord. Get this. In the beauty of holiness. You know what I think we've done? We've completely flip-flopped that, or some folks have. Instead of giving God the glory due His name, and instead of worshiping Him in the beauty of holiness, they worship Him in the holiness of beauty. They believe that if we can make our worship beautiful, aesthetic, if we can make it, you know, let's get the best singers to have a group and and we'll have them sing for us because it's so much prettier than congregational singing when we have to have brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so chiming in and they can't carry a tone in a bucket, you know. So, let's let's get them out of it and let's have the beauty of a few people singing. And, uh, you know, the preacher, sometimes he goes on and on. He doesn't get to his point, and He's kind of boring sometimes. Let's do something different. 
instead of having preaching, we'll have, uh, you know, and just on and on we go. We, we look for things, society, religious people today are looking for new ways to worship that appeal more aesthetically to men. We've missed the point. The beauty is not, or the holiness is not in the beauty of our worship. The beauty is in the holiness of our worship. Listen, you have a lady who may be 90 years old, and she's lost her husband, and she is all alone and scared and longing for all this stuff to get over with so she can be, be go on to be with her Lord and with the one that she loved and those that she loved, she may not have much of a voice. And when she sings, her voice may crack and not sound very appealing. But when she sings, if she sings from the heart, does Jesus care? You know, when, does, when she sings, Oh Lord my God, how great thou art. She may not have a strong, beautiful voice, and it may crack and get off key. But are you going to tell me that God doesn't respect and doesn't appreciate that? That he'd rather hear professional singers sing? That, that there's more significance in the, the beauty rather than in the holiness? I don't believe that. The, apostle, or the, the psalmist wrote in Psalm 29 and verse 2 that we're to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. It's not about us. It's about Him. Here's a third thing. Um, well, a fourth thing, excuse me. Uh, or third, uh, entertainment. There's a challenge of entertainment. Listen, there is a dignity, a solemnity to worship that we cannot allow be sacrificed on the altar of entertainment. And we want to have fun in everything today. We've got so many ways to have fun in our society. We have more fun or outlets for fun today than, well, what did people do 100 years ago? They were so limited. We have so many ways. that Entertainment is a multi-billion dollar business in our society, and it has spilled over in the church, and we want to be entertained. And worship isn't about entertainment. It's about worshiping God. Honoring him. And um, with reference to that, you know, I think back to, um, well, the, the, the notion of, well, we're going to have contemporary worship and we're going to have traditional worship. Traditional is for the people that don't want to have fun. They're kind of sticks in the mud. And uh, so we're going to have the, the old, boring worship for them. But for the rest of us younger folks that like a little excitement and we like to have fun, we're going to have a contemporary service for us. And, and we're doing that all over the brotherhood where we have a traditional service and a contemporary service. And we th- think how great that is because it just shows how, how um, tolerant we are of each other and how we're trying to meet everybody's needs and so forth. Folks, I don't think that says tolerance at all. You know what I think that says? I think that says rigidity. I think that says I am so bound to having my way that I will not forfeit anything. I, I, I'm not going to allow a contemporary song 
be sung with the old traditional hymns. If they want to sing those contemporary songs, let them have their own worship service. We're singing the old hymns here. Or, you know, we're going to sing the new songs. We don't want any old songs. And all that kind of stuff, that, that's inflexibility. That's, that's intolerance. Romans chapter 14 says, We ought not despise or judge one another in matters of opinion, matters of option. And that is one. Listen, when we get to a point where we can't worship together, because I hold to my preferences to the point that I'd rather see the body of Christ divided than to give up my preferences, something's wrong. Worship has become a battleground rather than a place where we come together and unify and are strengthened by each other. I heard a man once say he saw a tent going up on the outskirts of town. He was excited because he said, man, circus is coming to town. And so he ran down there to see what was going on, and it wasn't a circus at all. It was a tent revival. He said, that was the most disappointed time in my life. I thought the circus had come to town. I ran down there, and here it was, it was church, a revival. He said, the second greatest disappointment of my life is I saw his tent going up on another occasion, and I ran down there thinking that it was going to be service, a revival, and it was little more than a circus. And I think that's about where some folks are. They've turned their worship into a circus. I can tell you of things that have done, been done in the name of worship that we would be, you're kidding me. You, you, you're not serious. They did this, yeah. Things that have no place in bringing honor and glory to God. Things that are far beneath the solemnity of this, this occasion. But they're being offered up because we have to be entertained. That's a challenge. Another challenge is that of autonomy. I really have strong preferences, and I believe I have reasons for many of those strong preferences for the way I like things to be done. But I have to also understand that because that's the way I like it, it doesn't mean everybody else has to do it that way. I understand that there are things that God legislates on, and we need to do it exactly as he says. But I also understand there's a great deal of freedom with reference to judgment and decisions. And when a different congregation down the road or across town does something a little bit different than the way we do it, I can't pass judgment on them if, that mat- if that's a matter of option. I need to be patient. Um, what if a, today, if, if when taking the Lord's Supper, somebody said, when you break off your bread, hold it. Don't eat it until everybody gets their bread and we'll all eat it at the same time. Now, here's what you might say. Well, that's silly. I don't see any need to do that. I'm going to eat my bread when I want to eat my bread. And, and you know, you, well, what if a church, would they be wrong if they did that? Now, I may not want to do it that way, but can I pass judgment on them if they chose to do it that way? We have the Lord's Supper at the first of our worship. What if, a, what if we go across town and... They do it at the end. Can you believe that? Are they allowed to do it at the end? Well, sure they are. God doesn't tell us when. There are a lot of matters that are neither here nor there. They're not intrinsically wrong. God hasn't legislated. We have freedom to act according to our own judgment. I have my preferences, 
but I can't bind those preferences on anybody else. There's autonomy. And so we need to be patient and not judge one another in those areas. Let me just simply close by talking about what is worship, the nature of true worship. And it's just three things. John 4, verse 24. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Worship has a proper object, God. Like I said, it's about him, not us. It's not about what I can get out of it. It's about what I give in it. And folks, listen, if you come to church week after week, to come to worship, and, and you sit and you sing the songs and you pray the prayers, and, and if the only thought is, I just need to be quiet and respectful until this is over with, you haven't worshiped God because you haven't given. We have to give praise, homage, and respect and adoration to, to God if we're to truly worship. You can come in your best clothes and sit down and be quiet and respectful and sing every word that's sung and leave here having never worshipped God. We have to have the right object in mind. We have to have the right standard, and that's truth. And we have to have the right attitude, which is spirit. How do we worship God in truth? Well, you do what he says. You, you follow his commandments. You stay within his authority. And, and you think about what you're doing. You, you have your spirit engaged. You're, you're not just rotely going through motions and routines and rituals. You're, you're engaged in what you're saying and what you're thinking and, and what's taking place. Listen, like I said when we started, worship has become a battlefield. It, it doesn't need to be that. It shouldn't be that. It should be holy ground where we come before God and express our praise and love to Him. Worship has become a source of division. It was never intended to be that. It should be a time when we come together and unite as those who have been redeemed, praising the God who redeemed us. Worship has become a time of self-gratification. I'm going to get something from this. I'm coming to get something. And uh, that's what it's all about. What, do I, what am I going to get today? It shouldn't be that either. We should be asking ourselves, what have I given? How have I engaged myself? How have I tried to please God on this day? Worship is too central to the cause of Christ and to Christianity to, for us to allow it to lose its person, purpose and then think we can still thrive as a church. We can't. If we don't do this right, if we let our relationship to God suffer because we don't have this vertical relationship through worship, our, our being, our existence, our reflecting Jesus in this body will also suffer. I believe in worship. And I believe it's something that doesn't come as easily as what some might think. And it takes work. And I believe probably if we're all going to be, you know, just honest, we'd say, yeah, I need to do better. There are times when I sing a song and I don't even think about what I said. There are times when a prayer said and, and all I heard was amen. I knew enough to open my eyes. We have to engage ourselves, give God honor and praise. We need to worship God 
in the beauty of holiness. I believe in that. And uh, when we do, we'll be strengthened. God will be glorified. And it enables me to leave this place and go out and face an unbelieving world. Hopefully able and emboldened to help them to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. If you're here this morning and you're not yet a child of God, why? I mean, you're here because you love Him, apparently. You're here because you're interested in your soul's salvation. Is it because you don't know what to do? I think most of us know what to do. Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. It's a matter of not a matter of really knowing what to do. He told us. I just told you what He said. I guess the issue comes down to what Will you do it? Will you get out of your comfort zone and respond and not worry about what other people are thinking? And let me tell you, you know what other people are thinking? Here's what they're thinking. I hope they respond to the gospel. I hope he says yes to the Lord today. That's what we're thinking. Don't worry about what other people are thinking. They're on your side. If you haven't yet obeyed the gospel, step out in faith. Walk down this aisle and say, I want to put Jesus on in baptism. And we'll assist you in that. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful, and you need the prayers of your brethren that you might be more faithful, stronger, more willing and able to serve him in the future, we'll pray with you to that end if you'll come as we stand together and sing.